Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. Joining me, as always, is Billboard.com senior editor, Katie Atkinson. Oh, my God. Katie, can you believe it's been 25 years since Sir <laughs> Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back was released? Oh, my God. I can believe it, but that is a crazy long time. Well, uh, we're going to talk all about Sir Mix-a-Lot and Baby Got Back in just a moment because the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got Coming Around Again with Billboard.com Senior Associate Editor Andrew Unterberger. Andrew will be discussing the 25th anniversary of Sir mix smash hit, Baby Got Back. He'll be joined by former Billboard staffer and podcaster, ah. Natalie Weiner, who is now at Bleacher Report, to talk about Sir mix importance as a Seattle rapper, Natalie's from Seattle, ah. and whether the song has managed to transcend the cliche that pop culture turned it into. So stay tuned for that in just a few moments. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss an episode and give us a rating or review while you're at it. If you have any questions for us, feel free to tweet us at Keith underscore Caulfield or at KT Atkinson. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. Well, before we join Andrew, let's talk a little bit about Baby Got Back. Uh, the song spent five weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 back in 1992 and was an inescapable summer anthem. It finished 1992 as the year's number two biggest song on the Hot 100 behind only Boys to Men's End of the Road, which too was an inescapable hit. Uh, and Baby Got Back would stage a return in 2014 thanks to a sample of the tune in Nicki Minaj's massive Anaconda which reached or slithered, hey, <laughs> to number two on the Hot 100. So, Katie, do you have any specific memories of this song? Of course I do. Who doesn't? Because I was 10 years old in 1992, and I vividly remember my friend procuring the cassette tape of this song. The single? The single. I had the single as well. And we listened to it at her birthday party over and over and over again, never getting tired of it, just wanting to learn every single line. And its inappropriate appeal to children continues because my six-year-old niece and nephew now sing the, oh my God, look at her butt part because of the movie Sing that came out last year with all the fun little singing animals. And it's like, what, like a four-second bit It's literally, like, if you look this up on YouTube, it is a five-second moment of the movie, and that is it, and they love it because six-year-olds think butts are hilarious. So there you have it. Its appeal continues. Wow. Well, um, <laughs> we'll have to hear all about that in just a second because... It's time for coming around again. Hello and welcome to Coming Around Again, Billboard's uh, newish anniversary themed podcast celebrating milestone anniversaries in the music world. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Baby Got Back, which was the signature hit for Seattle rapper Sir Mix a Lot. He uh, came out with the song about 25 years ago this week. Uh, Went to number one on the Hot 100 pretty quickly, became one of the, you know, maybe one of the most beloved rap songs in the 90s, certainly one of the most recognized rap songs in the 90s. And, and here, uh, to talk about it with us, making her a LeBron-like return to the halls of <laughs> Billboard magazine, 
Natalie Weiner of Bleacher Report. What's up, Natalie? Hey, Andrew. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Of course. Uh, and uh, if you're, you know, a regular to the Pop Shop feed, you might remember Natalie. She had a couple of podcasts back in the day. She uh, she was part of Balling Out. A few months ago, you yeah, know, no, eons. A, a, little, a little throwback uh, Wednesday for you there. Uh, so, yeah, she was. Uh, I had some appearances on the Must Hear Music podcast. That's right. As well as Balling Out. Uh, so you, you might know Natalie from that, but what, what you might not know about Natalie and what I'm sure even probably some of her closest friends and coworkers don't know about her is that she's actually from Seattle, <laughs> uh, much like Sir mix a lot. Uh, so Natalie, why don't you start by kind of talking about, you know, what, what, what's, what's Sir mix a lot's you know, legacy in Seattle? Like, you know, how would you, if you get to compare it to another famous rapper who's like really associated with one city, like what, what, what would you think that would be? I mean, it's really interesting with Sir mix a lot just because, I think Seattle as a whole, I mean, obviously it's not a bastion of hip hop, like, and it never has been, you know, Macklemore, despite Macklemore. Um, But it's like, and he had this song that I think was widely viewed as as a novelty at the time. And even locally, I don't know that it necessarily transcended that reputation, but within the Seattle music community, he is definitely known as like, sort of a bedrock person in the city's hip-hop community. Like, he was the sort of person around whom it coalesced, like, before Baby Got Back in mm-hmm. the 80s. Um, but, I mean, I don't know that a lot of people really realize that part of his reputation, even in Seattle. But he is certainly a hometown hero. I mean, like, as silly... I think he sort of owns the silliness, you know? Like, sure. he did a performance of Baby Got Back with the Seattle Symphony, you know? And he, like, invited all these random what, people, like... What did that sound like? It was, Did they try to, like, know, recreate the samples goofy. on string yeah, sections and stuff like basically. that? basically. Wow. Um, this was just a couple of years ago, so pretty recently. But, like, so he owns the goofiness of it. Like, he's raised the 12th man flag at Seahawks games, stuff like that. So he's definitely beloved, and, I mean, as a person from Seattle, like... Growing up in my, like, very white, very middle-class neighborhood, like, that was my introduction to rap. Was, really? Was, like, Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back. I mean, when I was, like, really young. Okay. You know, aside from maybe whatever, like, very chart-topping hits were around, like, that was the first song that I, like, knew, knew. And I was like, oh, yeah, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Baby Got Back. Like, there was still that kind of, like, ownership of it, even though it's just this one goofy song. And it was the kind of thing that, like, you know, kids in the hallways of Seattle schools would be, like, talking about Sir Mix-a-Lot, like, passing around, you know, cassettes or uh, CDs No, I mean, because, I mean, by the time I was, like, sort of that sure. age, he was a little bit passe. Um, but... But, like, o- older brothers, maybe, or, like... Maybe. I, I don't know. It was, like, his heyday of being sort of underground hip-hop man was really, mm-hmm. like, 87 to 94, maybe. And so, you know, by the time I was, like, able to be cognizant of music was, like, probably, like, five to ten years after that. Sure. But, um, But, I mean... It's definitely, like, every party you went to, you heard it. I mean, it's like, you just, and I realized that it was super popular everywhere. Obviously, it was a number one song, but I think it probably had more staying power around Seattle. Right. Just because he was, like, our hometown guy. Our one rapper who we had for a very long time. And and yet, no, you've you've complained about this to me before, uh, as an NFL fan and a Seahawks fan specifically, that... uh, you know, when they're, when they're showing the Seahawks games and they have, like, the montages of, you know, Space Needle and Pike's Peak and stuff like that, or the Pike's Market. Pike's Pike Peak? Place Market. Pike Place. A Pike, Pike Place Market and the Space Needle. And, uh... Yeah, the bumper music is it's always usually Nirvana, like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Macklemore now, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so why do you think that the Sir Mix-a-Lot gets, gets left out of that? I really that think canon? it's because 
people sort of don't take the song seriously. Like, they really mm. do consider it, like, a novelty hit, which, if you look at what is so interesting, because obviously Butts, back in the day, it was like, ooh, a guy likes Butts, what? But now, that's totally the norm. I mean, everybody has butt implants, and, like, we're all sure. talking about Kim Kardashian's butt or Nicki Minaj's butt or whatever. You know, that's, like, a totally standard thing so i mean he was ahead of the curve really ahead of the curve no, no pun intended there yeah no i mean this, but, is, de- um, this is definitely like the big bang of butt songs right like this yeah. is the one that like you can like if you're looking at the great canon of i mean there were songs before it i know like like eu had a big song called the bud and there were there, there were other kind of songs that you know were, were regional hits or or minor hits and and like they've endured but this was the song that like i'm sure if you're looking at the chronology it's like you know, very few in the years, you know, one a year, a couple years leading up to this, and then, like, you know, 15 a yeah. year after that. And uh, certainly I, when I was growing up, uh, like, I kind of took that for granted, I guess. Like, I, I never thought of, you know, when, when, when I heard this song, I never thought of it as, like, a uh, a song that was taking a particularly bold stance on anything. It just seemed like, oh, yeah, it's hip-hop, hip-hop, you know, rappers love girls with big asses. And, <laughs> and certainly that's a, a thing that exists and has always existed. Right. But in his own right he was he was in sort of an innovator here yeah yeah Uh, i know and it's so funny that there's like such a philosophy behind it too he's like it's sort of weirdly like body positive before that was a thing but also like not because it's sort of male gaze ish obviously (laughs) not necessarily to get too into the like feminist implications or not of (laughs) baby got back but it's definitely like when i was you know young and impressionable and i was like oh you don't like the girls in Cosmo? Like, what? <laughs> like, this all felt, like, very revolutionary to to me, yeah. you know, as somebody who is not, didn't, like, have a lot of people around with that perspective. But getting, you know, getting back to the Seattle part of it, like, I do wonder if he was hurt by maybe not having, like, his own crew. I, I, don't, I don't know if he, maybe he didn't. They just weren't a very big part of his bigger hits. But, like, you know, you, you think of, like, somebody like Nelly, you know, mm-hmm. he, he really, like... He basically, it's, it's, it, when you're watching Nelly videos, like you felt, you felt like he brought his entire city with him, basically. Like yeah. he had the, you know, the Cardinals and Blues hats, and he had the Saint Lunatics, and and like he was, he was very vocal, and and he and he had like like backup, basically. Yeah. Uh, Sir Mix a lot, like you know, he he does rep for Seattle, uh, and like you listen to a bunch of his other bigger songs aside from from Baby Got Back, you do hear that. Uh, I think that kind of one of the cruel ironies maybe is that like his most Seattle themed song. Uh, it's probably a song called Posse on Broadway, yeah, which is, is yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you're very familiar, which was his his biggest hit before this one, and and like mentions like a number of very specific. Oh, it's Seattle. super Seattle. It's all about Capitol Hill and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of like like a like a Boys in the Hood for Seattle almost. But the song's called Posse on Posse on Broadway, which is named after a street in Seattle. But I think if you hear that, you think oh, it's like yeah, Broadway. you think it's talking about New York. It's talking about yeah. New York, but. Uh, yeah, like, like it's I, a Seattle street. <laughs> Real Seattle heads know, Andrew. <laughs> well, I'm sure, but you know, yeah, I, no, I, I only found it that makes the branding the hard. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, talking about Posse on Broadway, like, what, are there other kind of pre-Baby Got Back songs that like either have a bigger reputation in Seattle than they do outside, or that that you are particularly a fan of? I mean, Posse on Broadway is definitely the one that people know, like people sure. who are my age, like, are aware of. But I was doing some reading before and I guess he like I mean one thing that he was really important to him was like having his independent label like he okay. partnered with this DJ who's actually still active and he still hosts an independent rap show in Seattle and they had their own label called Nasty Mix Records and that's what he released his debut on and it sold a million copies so like he was really successful independently and he had just been like 
according to sort of what I read, he was really just releasing mixtapes locally that aren't even out now, you know, like and kind of had some local success in these other songs that like would get played in Seattle, but nowhere else. Um, But yeah, he was successful independently and then he got signed by Rick Rubin, obviously. But like, which by the the way, I had no idea that Rick Rubin was a part of Baby Got Back. Like, yeah. Which is crazy. What a career that guy had. Like, it's un- unbelievable, like, the kind of the, the, the iconic hits that he was, played a part in that, like, they're probably not in, like, the top ten line items on his resume. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. But just, like, the kind of, yeah, random, like, yeah, sure, random parts. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, and he did that, but he kept the publishing, which, like, was super mm. smart. And so, like, think about how many copies that's sold and how many times it gets streamed. He gets all of it. You know, which is like, that's insane to think about. So he was really kind of a businessman like back then and like very sort of conscientious about keeping his own stuff. But I do think that you're right, like his focus on being independent and DIY and stuff. Mm -hmm. And as much as that was connected to Seattle and actually kind of connected to grunge, if you think about it, you know, Uh like this like focus on a local scene, it was helpful, I think, in the money part, but maybe less helpful as far as like creating a legacy. Sure. Um, do do Sir Mix a lot in the grunge scene? Ever kind of commingle? Like, did yes. was there ever a time? Like, does, did he and Eddie Vedder ever play together? He has like a that? song with Mud Honey. Wow. And, yeah, and so, also from like the late eighties. No, from the nineties. Oh jeez. And he like toured with, if I'm remembering correctly, I really should whatever I should have fact checked <laughs> this, but. I'm pretty sure he had a band with some of the guys from Presidency of the United States of America. Oh, you know what? I do remember and that. And was yeah. touring with them, like, in the 90s, which was crazy to think about. So he was, like, he owned his Seattle-ness. And, yeah. like, like you're saying, he it's just not, you know, it's not a part of Baby Got Back, so people don't really think about it as much. But he did make it a big part of his identity, like, Seattle and what it was all about. But I agree, the Posse on Broadway thing... It's difficult branding because <laughs> it has, <laughs> has the same name. It's difficult to make distinct. And also the fact that just the audience for hip hop in Seattle was inherently smaller than it would sure. have been like in St. Louis when Nelly was coming or any of the other right, local right. scenes that could really like build up their people like Seattle could to an extent. But it's just there's just not as many hip hop fans there as there are in other cities. Is there like a second most famous rapper from Seattle in that kind of golden age era? Anybody that, that you can think of that, that comes to mind for that? No. Not real. I mean, it's like really minor people, like really, really, really very local. I mean, there was kind of like there was the Sir Mix-a-Lot era Mm -hmm. and that was that. And then the next like Seattle hip hop bubble, at least insofar as I am aware of. And I'm not going (laughs) to like say I'm a Seattle Twitter is going to come after you for this one. I know. But I mean, it was the Blue Scholars and that was like kind of mid aughts, I guess. They were like two dudes who like met at UW, very sort of what the uneducated people might call conscious hip hop because oh, I think that's like a not helpful term. Sure. But it was definitely very politically minded and kind of like targeted. Collegiate. Yeah. Collegiate, like targeted for an alt rock audience, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. it was very appealing to that. And so it kind of took off in Seattle and they became like local celebrities and they actually did get a major distribution deal, I believe for their second album. And so they, like, had some minor national success, but nothing crazy. It was definitely all sort of on the indie mm-hmm. rap spectrum. And then there was Macklemore. And there was Macklemore. And then, like, you know, I saw Macklemore opening for the Blue Scholars when I was in high wow. school. So they were, like, a part of the same scene, you know? But Macklemore just had this song that <laughs> took off and, you know. And ha- has Sir Mix-a-Lot ever commented on Macklemore, to your knowledge? Did Ooh, I don't did they know. ever talk to each other? I sh- I'm like I'm sure he would say only nice things because right. like 
it's part of the essence at this point but um i should look that up i don't know i haven't seen anything but i know he's a big seahawks fan So in any event, uh, this song comes out 25 years ago. Uh, it's kind of comes out like a weird moment in rap history where the, you know the kind of the, the conventional golden age is, is sort of winding down. Uh, you know stuff like Public Enemy and NWA they're 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 kind of winding down in influence and uh, but G Funk hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And you know Dr. Dre releases the Chronic like I think six months from from then, and that that kind of points the way for where hip hop's going to go you know, for the rest of the 90s and then. And, at this time, like, you know, I looked at the charts from the week that Baby Got Back first uh, hit number one, and it's, like, him crisscrossing Arrested Development. Hmm. And, like, none of those acts really make it out of 1992, at least, like, right. as, as pop That's stars. Interesting. Uh, and, like, you look back at the song, and, you know, it's... You know, it's a song about asses, which was which was kind of unprecedented at the time, or at least, you know, to, to that in degree. In the way that In the, in the way that it was, yeah. yeah. And it's it's based on this like Detroit techno sample yeah. from from 1986, like fairly obscure. Fairly, yeah. I'd never actually heard it until doing research for this podcast. And I, I don't I don't I don't know if it's like a straight sample, but it's at least like an interpolation, they, yeah, something like that. Uh, and like yeah, he, he kind of comes at it from a weird way. He he's he's not rhyming conventionally, and in the video, he's like on top of a gigantic <laughs> you know whatever hundred foot ass or whatever. Uh, is this like a weirder song that people give it credit for? No, I I think. I think you're right. I don't think we do. I mean, I think because most people write it off because they're like, mm. oh, it's that butt song. You know, yeah. like it just like people have segmented it in their mind in that way for so long. And it came out in a time before hip hop really got the critical kind of examination that it deserved for the most part. Certainly true. Um, and so it just has been so long in the like party weird song like <laughs> thing. But it's... I mean, it's super, it's a good song. It's, like, yeah. solid, you know. It's got a point of view. It's got a sound that's not like anything else. But it's, like, fully fleshed out. No pun intended. Again. <laughs> it was um, accidental. Uh, it really was accidental. Got puns. Um, you know, I just have butts on the brain, I guess. Um, you know, you can listen to the whole song, listen to all the lyrics, and you're like, I'm interested in what you're saying. I don't know. Like, yeah. this is funny and And cool. have you have you heard the rest of Mac Daddy or the, the album that it comes from? I haven't done a lot of listening, but I would, okay. you know, tune in a little. You're right. It does kind of exist in an in-between space. That's interesting. And I think that makes sense as coming out of a Seattle scene that was never really fully developed. You know, it makes sense that it wouldn't kind of have this very solid identity in the way that a lot of other local yeah. rap did. And and the rest of the album, kind of, I don't know if it has like an identity crisis, but it de- this is definitely like an outlier even on yeah. the album. Yeah. Like, the rest of it's very like it reminded me of the like the the Ice Cube albums that the Bomb Squad produced. Hmm. It's it's still very it, it, it's kind of got that golden age DNA. It feels yeah. very like you know, definitely it's has a little boom bap, a yeah. little other stuff. Yeah, it's... yeah, it, it's caught in between, and obviously it had zero other hits. And actually, like after this, after the song goes to number one, he only hits the Hot 100 once more in his entire history. It's a uh, 
I think it's number 97 with a, with a version of, uh, of Sugar Hill Gang's Apache that's called Jump On It, which I'm sure like tricks a lot of people on Spotify these days. If you just, if you search for like Jump On It. Right. Like, you're like, like on the Sir Mix-a-Lot version. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, this is this similar, is but it's not exactly yeah. what I remember. <laughs> uh, do you think this song was almost, you know, I don't know, you would say it was a bad thing for him because obviously it made him, you know, incredibly successful and, and, and iconic for at least one song. But like, did this kind of, this song kind of doom his long-term prospects? I mean, I think that's the classic question. Like, yeah. does the one mega hit mean you're never, like, never going to get there again? You know, do, mm-hmm. if Sir Muxalot doesn't do Baby Got Back, does he spend more time, like, slow building Seattle's rap scene? I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, these are hypotheticals that it's hard to hard to say. But I do think, I mean, it's hard to get out from under something that's that big. No again, pun no pun intended. intended. <laughs> three for three, Natalie. Trying. Officially on fire. I'm not even trying, but I just, I'm just on a roll. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's like, it's so distinctive and it's so like, you know, like you're saying, it's a weird song. Sure. So if you're going to be defined by that song, it's going to be hard to match because it's just like, what is this even, <laughs> you know? But I don't know. It's, it's strange to see and I wonder what he would say about it. I mean, I think he's like fine with it because he's like a bajillionaire but yeah and he's, he seems to have like a pretty good sense of perspective in general it doesn't seem like he holds any grudges and it seems like he's just kind of here for the party like he probably never expected to have a song this big yeah and the fact that it did and, and that you know he got to a certain level and then he maybe wasn't able to stay on that level he's probably like yeah this was this this shouldn't have happened in the first place so i'm, I'm fine with that yeah i mean he definitely like learned it all himself like he produced that himself he did he mm-hmm. dj'd himself like scratched and mixed like he dj'd parties at the boys and girls club in seattle from what i was reading about and that's like how he built his following right. was like djing these parties and so it's very much like him alone sort of putting all of this like, putting this whole thing together alone in seattle ran basically with like a few people around him and so i wonder if it is maybe a little disappointing for him to, like, have spent all this time, like, mastering his craft and only to be known <laughs> as, like, the guy who sings the, the butt song. song. Sure. But, like, I don't know. Somebody needs to do the definitive Sir Mix-a-Lot profile and figure out what what's going on in his mind these days. Uh, so you mentioned kind of doing some reading about him. And you, you told me before the podcast started that you actually brought some, some reading material and some kind of supplemental stuff for, for us to discuss. Oh, so, I mean, well, I mentioned some of it, just the stuff about, like, sort of the genesis of Seattle's rap scene and how crucial he was to that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of interesting looking even at his electronic press kit, which is available on YouTube, like, from 1991. Nice. And he, like... It's filmed with a view of the Space Needle, like it's him in front of the Seattle skyline, like talking about how he's so proud to be an independent artist or to have come up that way, at least, and like to be from Seattle and blah, 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 blah. And like he talks about like, oh, my my next single is going to come out probably in January. It's called Baby Got Back. And like, you know... Rick Rubin, it's his favorite, but you should see the girls that he dates, like, implying that they don't have any asses whatsoever. And so it was just, like, a perfect moment, you know, sort of distilling the whole thing that was provocative about the song, you know, that he was, like, coming at it from this whole different perspective, but that Rick obviously yeah. saw the potential. Always knows a hit when he sees it, Rick Rubin. Right. At this point in the podcast, I, I have a, a confession to make. Uh-oh. Always kind of hated the song. What? <laughs> I know that that sounds like a strange thing to say about a song that we just spent the last, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes no, talking about. No, it doesn't. I mean, why do you hate it? Well, so 
in general, like, uh, you know, as we were saying, I, I grew up in a time where, like, this this, this song was just you know, part of the culture. You, you, you didn't you didn't really think of it as a song on its own merits. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I found the, 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 I found the beat to be kind of ugly and abrasive and I found the lyrics to be kind of like, like cheesy or, or just, just kind of gaudy. I don't know. As, as a kid, I guess I wasn't ready for this. Yeah. Uh, and over the years I've come to realize that like my distaste for the song isn't really so much about the song as it is what it became. Right. And like how it kind of like, my, my my when I think of the song, I think of like you know frat boys doing it at karaoke right. or, or like you know singing along to it at like or New Jersey cover bands as oh, they God. probably did that night. <laughs> Andrew and I were at a party where we both went to a New Jersey cover band and they did Rapper's Delight and it was really scarring. They probably did Baby Got Back earlier in the night. I don't know. Yeah, you you got to get there like right when they start. That, that's their that's their lead in song. That that's how they get the, the crowd amped. I mean, I would do it at karaoke. Like I'm not gonna. I I know every single word to this song (laughs) and then that's fine and and like as as i've you know kind of spent some more time with it over the years and got to look at it from more of an objective perspective i guess i would say that like i definitely didn't give the song enough credit for how clever it is first Mm -hmm. of all like he's a he's really good at like kind of you know switches up his flow at like unexpected points and he knows where to like really hammer a catchphrase and like you like you don't even realize and, and, and until like you, you, you take the time to think about it just like how many iconic sentences are in the song. One of the things that really kind of helped sell the song for me was when Nicki Minaj came out with Anaconda because you know she she like she samples that song very very liberally like yes. almost to the point where like, it's more like a cover or a remix. Yeah, <laughs> like, like... <laughs> usually when songs do that it's a sign of laziness or like a lack of general ingenuity. But with her, it, it was kind of it, it, it put in perspective just like what a large imprint on the culture the song has, and and also just like you know obviously coming from a female perspective, the song takes on a, a different message. Uh, but even though she flips it, I wouldn't say that she really changes like the quintessential meaning of the song no. that much. Uh, and it's interesting because like when you when you hear him talk about the song now, and you know the, the song got like an, a, a bunch. You know, it got it got controversy back in the day because yeah, you know it was attacked. The video for being... was like banned or put late night or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the video got banned. He was seen as a you know misogynistic, which uh, is so funny. It just goes to show like how our view of misogyny has changed. I mean, definitely misogyny in hip hop was an issue and is an issue. Sure. you know, like then and whatever. But saying I like girls with big butts is not <laughs> misogynistic. Well, and then that's the thing <laughs> is that he says, like, whenever anybody, like, talked to me about having a problem with this song, it was always men. And that, like, women, you know, uh, not not to say that all women are, are okay with everything that he says in the right. song, but generally women were like, it's about time. Like, that, that's the yeah. thing he keeps saying is that, like, finally somebody, like, stuck up for women that don't have figures that you would see in Cosmo. And it's actually, like, if you want to, you know, be a little bit... Uh, you know, sensationalizing about it, it's almost like a protest song in a way. It's like it's basically saying that, like you know, this 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 disenfranchised group of women who uh, you know haven't been represented fairly or accurately in popular yeah. culture. It's saying like let's give them some shine because they are beautiful, and it, it's it's not fair to hold them to this one particular standard. So I, I think the, the Nikki song helped me see that to a certain extent, just because she she really just embraces it, and yeah. it, it's not like she's saying it's it's not like an answer song. Like usually when when women, when female rappers are like doing a song that's a spin on a on a right. male, right? It's rap. like flipping around. Yeah, the it's, like, it's like Roxanne's so that revenge. It's like yeah, yeah, it's it's like 
it's like, yeah, hey, well, you know, this is what you're coming from. This is where I'm coming from. This is more just like, hey, I appreciate you celebrating people like me. And, and that's that's a pretty cool thing, I think. Oh, no, 100%. I mean, I think, like, way before this time, like, now it's a pretty common discussion to be like, well, let's represent women of color. And, you know, women of color can be attractive and women who don't look like, you know, Kate Upton or whatever sure. or whoever it can be attractive. And it's it like a, yeah, Kate Moss at the time. Maybe. Kate Moss. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Just whatever skinny blonde person happens <laughs> to be famous. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely he's like and, you know, it's framed around sex. So people are like, oh, this is so licentious and mm-hmm. bad and objectifying. But he's really like, you know, Jane Fonda got a motor in the back of her Honda. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's just that, like, that's like the 20th best line in the song. too, Right. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting that he's, like, giving, you know, he's just, like, owning it. And he's, like, not everybody looks skinny and not everybody's got a big butt like I like. So, you know, it's it's sort of giving everybody yeah. their props for their thing yeah, and saying an this is what I'm into. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so funny. It really, when you're talking about the cultural relevance, it sort of was crystallized when that whole controversy about Blake Lively, remember when she posted that Instagram picture of herself on the red carpet and it was like from the back and she was like LA face with the Oakland booty and everyone just like gave her the most, you know, she was just like dragged on Twitter, the whole thing. But it was like, you should be because that's not, you know, this isn't your song. This isn't your thing. You're not who he was talking about. Blake Lively is the Kate Moss, not the, you know, whatever big butt person. That does not have back, relatively speaking. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just kind of funny, and especially, like, there's so much fraught in saying that, because the whole point of L.A. Face with Oakland Booty is, like, black girl butt, basically, you know? And so it's just, like, it shows how the culture has changed and what we value has changed and stuff, and also where there's still work to be done there. But, but yeah, there's a pretty intense meaning, and, like, not a lot of men, I think, especially at that time and not now would have such a nuanced understanding of what it means to be a woman in the world and what it means to be assessed based on how you look all the time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, have you always liked the song or was there was ever a moment where like the, the, the cliche kind of overwhelmed what was positive about it? No, I mean, I like it was kind of in the background for a long time. And then mm-hmm. once I started to like get more into music in general and sort of seek it out more. It was like, oh, yeah. I mean, it was just, it always felt like a Seattle song that I would always like. And it's been a part of my life for a long time. And it's like, I don't know. My mom likes it. <laughs> really? Know? Like, yeah. So so in, in Seattle, so Sir Mix-a-Lot counts as mom rap? I mean, depending on your mom. <laughs> but my mom appreciated the big butt message, so. <laughs> All right, well, that's, that's, a, that's a powerful message to end on, I think. All right, well, thanks so much, Natalie. Uh, thank you. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you talking to Mix a lot with me. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you.